Welcome to church, everyone. Before we hop in, though, I do want to welcome all of those who are joining us online. For those of you who are joining us, we're so glad that you decided to worship with us. I want to invite you. This is my personal invite. I want to invite you to join us in person, 9 a.m., 1030s. We believe God's going to move in your life in a tremendous way. And this is a place full of people who love God, who aren't weird. Can I get an amen? Amen. Y'all should say that with a little more confidence. (laughs) And we just have fun because God's passionately changed our life. Today, we're in the middle of a series that we call The Struggle is Real. Look at your neighbor and say, The Struggle is Real. Last week, Pastor Josh kicked off this series with an incredible message on overcoming fear. And he taught us three little points, and I would encourage you to go back and watch it, but I want to give you three, I want to give you a little recap for it. He taught you that to overcome fear, you've got to recognize how powerful God is, you've got to receive God's unconditional love, and you've got to reorder your thinking. And let me tell you, you've got to watch that message, because today is kind of what I would call part two. It literally is part two, but it builds on top of that message, because we first are going to overcome fear, and today I get to talk to you about anxiety. And the room got quiet. So let's turn to God's word. If you have a paper Bible, you can get that out. They'll also have it on screen. Philippians chapter four, verse six says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Would y'all pray with me all across this room? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today, God, to be in your church Lord, we come as a church who's just receptive and ready to receive your word. God, speak through me today that I may deliver your word in a clear and concise way. And we thank you for the saints' victory today. And it's in Jesus' name we said, amen, amen. Hey, have you ever found yourself, just like a show of hands, I know this is kind of private, but show of hands, have you ever found yourself in a season of anxiousness? Maybe you had a little anxiousness about something that was going to happen. Most of us, most of us. Let me give some examples of places you may have been anxious. Maybe you had a test in college. You remember those days where you had this exam that you didn't study for, you didn't pay attention in the class, and your professor's like, hey, final exam, and that's your final grade. Whatever you make on the exams, you're great. And you woke up every morning, you're like, oh no. First thing you thought about, first thing you thought when you went to sleep, you're very anxious. Maybe ladies, you can relate to this a little bit more than men. Maybe you were in an engagement season. Maybe you just got engaged and you're planning your wedding, that dream day. Men, if you didn't know this, if you're not married in this room, let me tell you, your lady has been thinking about that day since the moment she was born. So just give her all the grace, all the finances, just support her in those days. Because I know you've been thinking about the wedding night, but you don't have to worry about that. So... Hey, maybe it was another season. Maybe you were told you have a performance review with your job. Maybe your boss said, hey, Corey, I want you to come in. And on Tuesday, I need to talk about what's happened in your job. And you begin to feel this feeling of anxiousness over like, oh, I forgot to do this, this, this. You begin to list all the little things and forget all the big things that have happened. Or maybe, I know we can all relate to this because I actually felt this this past week. Maybe you turn on the news and they say there's a hurricane in the Gulf. Just this week, I was talking with a friend. I was like, guys, we made it through hurricane season. They're like, no, we haven't, not yet. I heard there's another one brewing. And I was like, uh-oh, let me go check the, check the generator. Let me go check the uh, whatever I need to check. Make sure my roof's good. Cut down the trees in my backyard. Cut down my neighbor's house so it doesn't touch me. I was ready to cut it all down. And I turned on the news and like, oh, Fiona's out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Good luck with that. I was like, why am I? I'm not worried about Fiona. Shrek taught me that. But our world's full of things that happen that cause anxiety. And that's what I'm trying to say. And so today, I want to title today's message, Taking Control of Anxiety. If you're taking notes, you can jot that down. Uh, 
According to Webster's Dictionary, I want to define anxiety for you today because a lot of us have been told a lot of definitions about anxiety. And if you're like me, I really didn't know what it was. I was like, ah, this, I've heard this. Some people use it in this term. Some people use it there. And so I was like, where do I find my answers? Webster. And Webster's Dictionary defines anxiety as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. You see, according to Webster, anxiety isn't a disorder. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to tell you uh, not to be your doctor today. But according to Webster, anxiety is not a disorder. It's a feeling of nervousness, which, hey, hello, this is like my fifth time sharing with One Hope. I am nervous today. I have anxiety about sharing this message. It's a feeling of worry or unease, typically associated with an event that you don't know the outcome of. It's why when you hear there's a hurricane in the Gulf, you instantly say, (gasps) And then you have to go in and figure out that it's not, it's in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. But what, he's, what they're saying is being, anxi- being anxious about something isn't wrong. It's what makes you human. But because our society is so quick to, ne- to call things disorders and they would like to jump on things, I want to actually share the definition of, of an anxiety disorder. Y'all didn't know you're coming to learn today. If you want a preaching message, Pastor Yash will be back next week to teach you how to overcome stress. Today I'm going to teach you a lot of things and you can go to lunch smarter than the person at the table next to you. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders defines a person who struggles and has an anxiety disorder as someone who struggles with three or more of the following six symptoms more days than not. And I want you to listen to these because if you're like me, I read this and said, I got an anxiety disorder. Because it's restlessness or easily fatigued. You have difficulty concentrating or your mind goes blank. Irritability, don't elbow your neighbor. Muscle tension. Difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, restless or unsatisfying sleep, as I like to say, you have kids, or intrusive thoughts, things that come in and they overwhelm your brain and they begin to, your thoughts run wild. You're like me, you realize, hey, I've got an anxiety disorder as well. I struggle with anxiety because the reality is we all struggle with anxiety at some level. In fact, that's why Paul writes to all people, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Look at your neighbor and say anything. I want you to hear this today, if you hear anything from today's message, which hopefully you hear a lot, but I want you to hear this. Anxiety is just an alarm system. Nothing more, nothing less. Anxiety is God's way of alerting us to a potential imbalance inside of our bodies, our environments, or our relationships that alerts you so that you can be aware of what needs to change. And so real quick, I want to give you three different ways that our alarms are set off. And these are really profound, so I hope you're ready to take notes. The first thing that causes our anxiety alarm to go off is our problems. We all got problems. As Danny said earlier, the struggle's real for all of us. And you're saying maybe, Pastor, that's, that's real profound. You're right. It's really profound. We all got problems. And problems cause our anxiety. I love how the, the prophet Job, or I love how Job writes it. He says a problem, or he doesn't say this. A problem is anything you did not plan on. Job in chapter 5, verse 7 says, People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. You are born for things that are going to happen that you can't control. So I want to define problem for this. It's just simply anything you didn't plan on. A problem is anything that came into your life that you did not plan on. And problems are going to happen. Pastor, come on, be more positive. I'm positive. Problems are going to happen. The second thing that triggers our alarm system for anxiety is people. People. Can I get an amen there? People cause anxiety. Maybe it's your, your parents. Maybe it was your siblings cause anxiety. Maybe it's your friends, your coworkers, your boss. Maybe it's the people you like. Maybe it's the people you don't like. 
that all cause anxiety because what I found is people have the ability to increase anxiety or take the weight off of you. Think about it. You start out, it's a wonderful day. You woke up early. You're having a great morning. I mean, coffee's made. Everything's good. You got ready for work. You look at your watch. You say, I got a whole nother hour to kill. And so what do you do? You do what any great Christian does. You drive on down to the local Chick-fil-A. You get you some chicken minis. Man, you get you a nice iced coffee to go with it. And you just, you go straight through the drive-thru. You pay for your meal. You don't even check the bag because you know that like if the chicken minis aren't in there, that's because God decided you didn't need chicken minis today. It's not because they made a mistake. So you get to the office and you're having a great day. And then you enter, enter in that coworker. That person who, it's like they're hell-bent on ruining your day. And they ask you, hey, did you put money in the stock market today? They're going down, you need to put your money in. The next day you come back, like, you better take all your money out the stock market. We're all going to die. And he just, they continue to go. Hurricane in the Atlantic, it's probably going to do the, one of these random things. It's going to show up and somehow got to New Orleans. I'm sure it's already on the track anyway. Some of y'all know what I'm saying there. And I love because it can send you into a spiraling effect. People have the ability to spiral your anxiety. And so Psalm chapter three, verse one through two, I love how King David says it. Oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. See, I want you to hear today, people do things sometimes without cause that cause our anxiety to rise. And the third alarm that I want to sound today that shows your, that rises your anxiety, increases your anxiety, is the last one. It's physical needs. It's in any area where you have a deficiency in your life causes your anxiety to rise. And I want you to know, just so you know you're okay, there's not a person in this room. Do me a favor, show a hand. If there's an area of your life where you feel like you have a need, I want you just to lift your hands. Maybe it wants something you're looking for, a W from the saints today, whatever it is, you have a need and we want to increase that because physical needs lead us to a place of anxiety. I wrote this down. When these deficiencies are present, sometimes it increases anxiety and that anxiety grows and can oftentimes lead you to a place of depression. Because anxiety, while left unchecked, spirals and it increases. I love James chapter four, verse one through two. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. I love this passage. None of these are refrigerator verses. If I go to your house and these are on the fridge, I don't want to see it. But James just says, your desires aren't wrong. He never says, like, you desire and you got the wrong desires. But what he's saying is the way you go about your desires has a direct result to the actions in which take place. And when you go about your desires in a wrong way, you find yourself start to do things that maybe you wouldn't typically do. What would happen if we just began to do that last part? We just began to ask God and believe that he cares about our anxiety and our needs. What would happen if we were a church who said, hey, we've got these needs and I've got these cares and I'm gonna believe 1 Peter 5, 7 that I can cast my cares on God because he cares for me. What if we're a church who asks God for everything? You see, when I, was in, when I was 16 years old, back in 2009, I'm gonna let y'all do the math, see that I'm actually not 12, it's okay. I know what you were thinking, I can already see it in your face. When I was 16, I was battling a lot of things in my own personal life. In fact, I didn't know this then, but the more I've been studying, the more I would say I was battling anxiety at a very high level because I'd get home and I felt alone. I felt like nothing was ever gonna go right for me. I began to spiral, I was extremely insecure. It's so insecure that I didn't talk in school. Didn't say a word. It's funny. Pastor, you went from not talking to talking a lot. Yes, God's good. And 
I didn't want to see anyone, and I tried to mask it the best I could, but the moment the door shut, I found myself in a place of anxiousness and overwhelmed feeling. Maybe some of you have been in this place. You see, I was in a great family. I had two parents that loved me, that cared for me. I had friends that I could call any moment and go hang out with. I had, uh, I lacked for nothing, and the greatest problem I faced each day was what video game should I play tonight? Everything seemed good outwardly, but on the inside, I was in a place of anxiousness. It was in the summer of 2009 where I woke up one morning and I unknowingly did what James chapter 4 said. I asked God, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I remember crying in my pillow saying, God, I can't do this anymore. And God met me in that moment. And he began to direct my path and he began to lead me to a church. And in that church, I found relationships and I found people who started to address the issues like, Corey, you think this because you do this. Your thoughts are here. And they began to place me in community. I walked in and I found a mentor who began to take me under his wing and say, hey, I want to help you get through some of the things in your life. And he he gave me opportunities to lead. He found my passion and my purpose. It's why we have Next Steps here at the church, because your passion and your purpose can really change the way that you view your life. And... I began to go on a process of true healing. What I found is that God's answer to our anxiety is to bring healing. God's answer to your anxiety today is to bring healing. And I believe God's willing to start some of you on a journey today for healing. That today can be a catalyst in your relationship with God to find healing in your most anxious areas of your life. And so to show you this in the Bible, I want to take you to Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. And it says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And if I'm being honest, the first time I read this passage, I thought, oh, the disciples are going out to like, they're like modern day doctors going out and they're just healing. Touch, 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 touch your ear, you hear, touch your eyes, you see. And they were going on. But the more I began to study, I realized that if I go back to the original Greek manuscripts of this passage, the word cure and the word perform healing, the word heal are two different words. And so I'm going to teach you some Greek real quick. The word cure is the, the word therapuo, therapuo. And it's where we get the modern day term therapy or therapeutic. It's the base word for that. And that's simply the process of healing. It's the process of healing. It's say, hey, Corey, your head hurts because you're hitting yourself with a hammer. So quit hitting yourself in the head with a hammer and your head won't hurt. It's silly, but it's a similar environment of how God's teaching the disciples to go out and heal people. And then the second word is eomai. Eomai. And it simply means it's the miraculous and instantaneous power of God. It's the miraculous healing. It's when God, you walk in a room and they touch you and you're healed like that. That's the power that God's talking about. And he gave the disciples these two ways to heal people. And so I want to show you this in another translation of the Bible. If you didn't know this, there's multiple translations of the Bible. Some are made to reach a different audience and to help you understand a little more clearly. And it's, this is the NASB. And it says, now he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and the power to therapuo, therapuo, heal diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing, EOMI, to perform that healing in a moment. And so I want to give you, I want you to remember this. God wants to heal your anxiety today, but I also want you to remember anxiety is an internal warning system telling you to get some things in order in your life. And so I'm going to be really practical. This may be one of the most practical messages you've ever heard at One Hope. Don't tell Pastor Josh, but it may be one of the most practical messages to help you cure your anxiety. Because oftentimes I've found that God 
cures us and God heals us through a process and a journey. I do want to hit pause before I give these though and just say if you are submitted to a plan from a doctor, if you are going through anxiety and you're meeting with a counselor and they've given you a specific plan, follow your doctor's instructions. Again, I'm not a doctor, but what you're going to find is that the Bible has outlaid the plan for anxiety a long time ago and doctors are just discovering it. You see, we found great ways, and maybe you're taking medicine for your anxiety. Continue to take the medicine. These are not things to get rid of it, but I do want you to know God has not designed you to be on medicine the rest of your life. What medicine does is it, it decreases your alarms at a level that you can now begin to address the issues that are causing your anxiety to be triggered. And so I wanted to give that preface. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you five ways to kill anxiety, five ways to turn off the anxiety alarm in your life. And so the first point is that we've got to start resting well. We've got to start resting well. How many of y'all, just show of hands, got eight hours of sleep last night? A couple of y'all. God bless you. You're going to have to do a teaching after this. I'm going to hand you the mic. Because the number one thing that we violate in our society today is rest. A lot of people just continue to go about your day. Maybe you've heard things like this, like, I'll sleep when I die. I got a lot of time in that grave to relax. Or maybe, maybe you've, more realistic, maybe you're not that drastic. Maybe you said, hey, I'll rest when things slow down. Some of y'all I know already circle March 2024. That's when we're going on our vacation. That's when I'm going to rest. You found this season to slow down. Or maybe you said, I'll stop working when I reach this goal. When I hit this financial goal, I will stop working. I'll continue to drive and figure out what's going to happen But I want you to hear this today. A rest-deprived brain is an anxious one because sleep deprivation causes your emotions to run amok in your head. In fact, science shows that a sleep-deprived brain is 50 to 60% emotionally more active than another one, than any other, a well-rested brain. And so what you find are some people are struggling with anxiety and they're saying, hey, I'm just predisposed to having an anxiety disorder. Maybe you've heard this. I'm genetically disposed to have it. Well, I want you to hear today, God created you emotional for a reason. God created you to have this emotion. You're not predisposed to anxiety. We're just running out of pace and we're doing things that are causing us to make, make decisions that, as James said, will lead us to harm. So we've got to rest well. The Bible teaches the importance of rest for us as well. In Genesis, God starts out, he builds the earth in six days and on the seventh day, he rested. And then you go on and he even found that, man, this principle is so important that you skip on to Exodus. And Moses comes down with these tablets and written on it is honor the Sabbath. And he puts it on the 10 commandments. He, God literally grouped rest with adultery and murder. And the reason he did that is because it's so important for us to slow down and rest, slow down, smell the roses. And so that's the principle of a Sabbath. Sabbath is simply slowing down and submitting yourself to God for a day. Saying, God, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to plow the field, which is AKA, I'm not going to go to Taco Bell and work. I'm not going to go wherever your job is. You probably don't work at Taco Bell, but God bless them. Uh, But it's trusting that God can do more with six days than you can do with seven. Hebrews chapter four, verse nine says, says, so there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. What this passage of scripture is saying is we have to do the work to get to a special time of rest. Rest, I don't know anyone who just stumbled into an off day. Like, oh, I was just walking and I was like, man, I could really stop and just enjoy this moment. Like, wow, I'm just gonna sit down and rest. Rest takes work. Because if you don't rest before you work, 
you won't make it. For some of you, this means changing the way you rest. Maybe you do have a Sabbath and you do practice your Sabbath, but you still find yourself in a place of restlessness and and tired and you just can't rest. Maybe you have to change the way you rest. I want to submit to you, I don't think I made it up, but I'm going to call it Corey's 511 principle. It's my my 511, okay? It's it's not 411, 511. But it's simply, I want you to work for your job five days a week, work for yourself one day a week, and rest for God one day a week. Maybe, Corey, I'm an entrepreneur. I run my own company. Okay, work for your company five days a week. Find something outside of your passion and your job and work for yourself one day a week. Do the laundry, do something fun, and rest one day a week. Because if you don't rest, you won't make it. Again, to be practical, maybe you need to move your laundry to a work day. I'm I'm being very practical. Maybe you need to take laundry off your Sabbath. I know how many of y'all do your laundry on your off day. Maybe you need to begin to set boundaries for social media. Maybe you need to change and say, hey, I, this is my day of rest. So I'm going to get off social media. I'm going to get off the things that pollute my brain. I'm going to get off the things that trigger my thoughts. Maybe you need to turn off your notifications for mail. If you have an iPhone, they've made this really easy. They've got focus settings, and you can change your focus setting per day. And you can make it to where the only notifications I can get on those days are maybe a message and a phone call from these people. Maybe we need to begin to change the way that we engage with the world. Maybe you need to begin to teach your kids about resting. It's so important for us to teach the next generation about rest. Not just so they know how to rest when they're older, but so that you can rest today. I told my wife this year, maybe we need to teach our kids to do laundry. (laughs) So you can rest a little bit more. Maybe you need to clear your calendar and call it. This is what I do. I call it a no-have Tuesday. Meaning there's not something that gets a calendar appointment. If I've got a dinner that night, I may cancel. Like it's it's just like, it's a no-have Tuesday. If I want to go do something, it's just like call and have fun. We've got to find abilities and rhythms of rest in our life or else you will fall. What would it be like if rest was an upfront decision in your life and not a required response to exhaustion? We'd be more refreshed. We'd be a church. And I want that to be said about One Hope, that we're a church that rests well. The second thing that can silence the anxiety alarm, and this one's not my favorite, but it's, it's true, is healthy eating. Point number two, you can jot this down, healthy eating. We live in New Orleans, and I live in New Orleans, well, one, because God called me here, but mostly because the food is just so good. But there ain't nothing healthy about New Orleans food. There ain't nothing healthy. It's probably, this is probably the one that I struggle with the most. Like I said, I love Chick-fil-A. In fact, I take pride in my Chick-fil-A reward status. I'm over here like I got to get to the next level. That's my, that's my fun time, free time. But as much as I love good food, and I also believe that Mountain Dew came from, from God, Exodus 16, 14 says, you can fact check me, it says when the Mountain Dew was gone, it revealed frosted flakes on the ground. Look, you can fact check me. It might be good for you to get in the Bible. As much as I believe some of this food came from God, it's important to find it. It doesn't say that, guys, if you want to know. It says the dew, but it's Mountain Dew. As much as we love food, it's important to do everything in moderation. It's important to remember your moderation. Maybe you're on the other spectrum. It's not about image. Eating's not healthy. It's not about your self-image. It's about health overall. Poor eating habits create a roller coaster of energy levels for you. I was joking with a coworker earlier this week, and I was like, hey, man, you know, I think God really designed us to stop at noon. So, like, to, to work all morning, go to lunch, stop, and go take a nap. And she looked at me very quickly and said, no, that's because you had a cheeseburger at lunch, and you're exhausted. <laughs> because poor eating habits create a roller coaster of emotions. And again, anxiety is an emotional response to things that are thrown off in your life. So... Uh, Romans 14 verse 14 says, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. 
But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Let's not like let our diets and our decisions ruin ourselves and our own emotions because of what we're eating. The third thing, I'm moving fast from that one because I just got to keep going. The third thing is physical exercise. The third thing that silences alarms is physical exercise. I actually did a lot of study on this, but before I do that, I want to take you to the Bible for 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. It says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. He's saying physical training is important because it promises benefits for this life and the life to come in your life. I found this to be true when I was 21 years old. You see, I started a job when I first moved down here. I was taking any job I could, and I began washing dishes. And I wasn't working out. I had never worked out in my life. In fact, I really didn't know what a gym looked like, except for the fact that some of them had basketball courts. And I was washing dishes, and my back began to hurt really bad. So I went to the chiropractor, and I sat down, and he looked at my back, and he said, Corey, I got to shoot you straight. If you don't change the way you're living, by 28, you'll have back surgery. And I thought, well, I don't want that. I actually grew up in a family where back surgery was something that a lot of people have had. And I was like, oh, maybe this is something wrong. And so a couple years later, it took a little bit of convincing. I had to get some second opinions. And be like, are you sure that I need to start building strength? And I started to work out. And I kid you not, all of my back pain seized instantly. And to this day, I've not seen a chiropractor for my back. And I'm 29 years old, as most of you already done the math. So I've passed the 28. And I have not seen a chiropractor again. Why? Because physical Strength, physical exercise produces an emotional response. It produces health in your body. If you don't work out, you begin to weaken. Uh, a mentor of mine always says, you got to choose your pain. My mentor is Pastor Josh. And he says, you got to choose your pain. And what he's saying is, would you rather have pain today for a healthy tomorrow or a healthy or enduring today for a painful tomorrow? You see, anxiety, let's tie this back to anxiety. Corey, I don't think this applies. Yes, it does. Anxiety is your body and your brain's way of preparing you for action. Anxiety at its root is determined by the fight or flight mechanism in your body. And so you either feel anxious and you want to go fight and go fix it. Maybe you hear something you can't control and you begin to fight and that's where it begins to spiral. Or you begin to flee and say, hey, I'm just not even going to worry about that. I'm going to scoot on by that and I'm going to run. But anxiety is your body's way of preparing you for action. And without movement, your body has no way to process the flood of response chemicals that overwhelm us when the anxiety alarms are triggered. Physical exercise releases endorphins that promote an overall sense of well-being in your life. Physical exercise is your body's way of saying, hey, all this chaos happened today. Everything in our world's pointing to the ground. Everything's, I mean, the world feels like it's falling down. And you're able to go say where your body's saying, let's go fight, let's go do this, let's go do it. Your emotions and your chemicals are rising up. Physical exercise gives you a healthy way to process those and keep your anxiety levels at a low level. So goal, just make it really practical. Get your heart rate up intentionally every single day. Find an intentional way to get your heart rate up. I'm not saying you have to go do CrossFit. I have retired from CrossFit a long time ago. That was the first season of my life, and Pastor Josh has continued it on. But I'm encouraging you to find a way to intentionally. What I mean by that is going up the stairs at your house does not count as getting your heart rate up. I want to give you some practical tips for working out. Real quick, just three practical tips. Maybe you just need to stretch. I really, I read about this, that it's a good way of getting your body ready. So maybe you need to start your gym sessions with 20 minutes of stretching, pulling, and bending. Then you finally got your gym clothes on and you can start your workout. Maybe you need to join a gym. In fact, I joined a gym a month ago and I haven't lost a pound since. So tomorrow I'm going down there in person. I'm going to figure out what's going on. Maybe you need a personal trainer. And this one's, this one, man, 
a personal trainer, getting somebody who's in your ear constantly is really good. I recently actually just heard about a gym who sends personal trainers unannounced to your door. You know what they call them? If you need to Google it, it's Jehovah's Fitness. <laughs> That's the dumbest joke, but it's funny. That's funny though. Let's be a people who focus on physical exercise. And so we rest well, we eat healthy, we focus on physical exercise. And then number four, we've got to begin to focus on our relational health. Because not only do you have to practice the physical things, you also have to prioritize the environment that you've surrounded your body with. See, nothing, we said it earlier, nothing causes anxiety to rise more than people. People have the ability, as we said, to place anxiety on your shoulders or take it off themselves. In fact, and this is, I want you to prioritize, I want to focus on the word health and relational health, because it's not just about having relationships with people. It's about having healthy relationships, relationships that are free of pain and free of uh, trouble, free of things. So I want to encourage you, the Bible actually teaches, if you have an offense with someone, go address it. If you have something wrong, go address it, because you can't overcome anxiety while you're holding on to the pain from a relationship. You can't overcome anxiety when you're holding on to the pain of what happened yesterday with people. The Bible says it's so important in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is saying is that relational health is so important that you should stop everything that you're doing. You should leave whatever you're carrying and you should go make it right with the person. Why? Because God wants us to be, and we are created as relational beings. We're created as a being who desires to have that connection, that we have this inherent need inside of us to be known and to be needed. And you've got to go fix your relationships because if you don't, it's going to spiral in your effects. And again, you're going to find yourself in a place of anxiety. We need connection with our spouse. Some of you might have to change some patterns in your relationship with your spouse. My wife and I have been doing this just to continue to strengthen ourselves, meeting with counselors saying, hey, how do we get better as a couple? Maybe you need to figure out some boundaries with your children or begin to focus on relationships with your children. Maybe there's a pain from a coworker that maybe you need to address tomorrow. Look, go in Monday morning, go head on and say, hey, I gotta talk to you. We got some things to talk about. Why? Because we've been created for relationships. We are relational beings. And this is where small groups here at One Hope, really practical, join a small group. If you're looking for restoration in your relationships, I wanna encourage you, join a small group. Get with somebody and focus on their relational health. They just started. You can find your group at onehopechurch.com slash connect. Go find a group. I met with my group this week and I came home and I told my wife, I said, I haven't done anything this fun in a long time. And it was just a group of people who had similar interests and we just talked about God and creativity and how different things correlate to the Bible. And I felt refreshed and fulfilled because we have to prioritize our relational health. Then you also may need to build boundaries. Healthy relationships help promote boundaries that lock in what is good and needed and they lock out what is bad and unnecessary. We've got to create boundaries in our relationship. You see, we wouldn't take people and just let anyone in our house, so, but we tend to do that with our own relationships. So to create boundaries on social media, create boundaries in who you talk to, create boundaries with family members. Can I give you permission right now? It's okay to set boundaries with your parents. It's okay to set boundaries with your extended family. Can I get a better amen than that? It's okay because when you set boundaries, it promotes relational health. And then lastly, and I told you I was going to get you out of here just a little early for church because we got a Saints game to go watch is you got to prioritize your spiritual life. 
We've got to prioritize our spiritual life. It's the most important thing that we can do is prioritize that. Because some of us think that we can eat spiritually once or twice a week or once or twice a year and still be healthy, spiritual. But your body is created to not just be a physical body and not just have emotions, but there's a whole spiritual aspect to your body that has the power to change your life for the good. Your, your spiritual life is as important as your physical life. I want you to hear this, and science actually back, backs this up. Unhealthy beliefs affect everything you do as a person. If you have an unhealthy, negative self-talk, you've heard this in some way, like, go journal and write down, what would it be like if you're in counseling for anxiety? They might say, hey, what, what would it be like if you didn't have those anxious thoughts? And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to start thinking about the good in your situation, not about the negative. They're trying to start doing this because as proven by science, people who have faith heal faster. People who have a healthy self-image heal faster and they overcome challenges more quickly. I'm gonna read a long passage of scripture and it's 1 Timothy chapter four, verse eight through 15. It says, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. What he's saying is, that's, a, that's an amen. That's better than your amen is what he says. That is why we labor and strive because we have to put our hope in the living God. We're working to put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. So command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And if you're in this room, you're young, just go with it. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters and give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. What Paul is saying here is you've got to, we've got to tell our believers and tell ourselves to devote themselves to a great spiritual life. We've got to be people who devote ourselves to the word of God. We've got to be people who open up our Bible when chaos goes and say, what does God's word say about this situation? It says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. It says that he's going to protect me, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. We've got to go to God's word. We've got to come into worship and have moments like we had in church today at our house. We've got to turn on some iTunes music so we can say, here I am, God arms wide open. We've got to have moments of prayer where we're saying, God, here's my family and my situation doesn't look great, but I'm going to declare that you are God. So God, I need you. As James 4 said, I need you to fill my life because when you focus on your spirituality, everything else falls falls away. And the last thing we got to focus on, we got to focus on our making a difference. We got to focus on our outward serving opportunities. This is like, oh, here we go. Here's the plug to serve at a church. That's not my goal. My goal is not that you serve at our church. My goal is that you find the thing that God's created you for, with purpose and passion, and you go for it every single day, and you use it to make a difference in the lives of others. And I do have a promise. I guarantee that if you come and you start serving on our, tree, on our teams, if you don't believe me, ask anyone with a blue sticker today, that you're gonna find this, you're gonna leave on a Sunday, and the things that you were worried about on the way in, the things that happened, are gonna completely have changed. Why? Because you put yourself out there, said, I'm created to serve in kids' ministry. And you served and you held a baby for the, for the mom to come in and experience the gospel of Christ. And it changed your way of thinking. And you got home and you were just thankful that you had that opportunity. And you weren't worried about what your finances look like. You weren't worried about your situation. Why? Because when it's spiritual, it affects every area of our lives. Would you bow your head with me all across this room? If you're here today and... Maybe you're saying, Corey, that's great. I love these four principles you gave earlier on, but I don't really have that spiritual component of my life. I want you to know God's desire is for that to begin today. 
Maybe you feel a tug and you're saying, hey, maybe I do need to invest in some spiritual relationships. Maybe I do need to, to begin my relationship with God. I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit and he's tugging on your heart. And James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you because you're one prayer away from a real and authentic life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. I love Romans 3, 23 because we can't actually get to God on our own, but it says, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God freely makes us right in his own sight. And he does this when they believe that Jesus died for them. So if you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with God, now's your chance. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to come down front. I simply want you just to repeat these words after me. Simply say, today, God, I give you my life. I recognize that I can't do this on my own, that I am in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for trying to live my own way. And give me the power to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.